welcome to you all, especially any visitors that we have amongst us this morning. You're especially welcome. Um, just one notice to make you aware of, there's probably more, but until Tim and Steve get back, then the email will probably come out later in the week. But we are meeting for prayer this week on Thursday at 7.45 here in the church, so I encourage you all uh, to be there and meet together with us to pray uh, for many things. And as we come to the end of the, th the summer, um, I think it's uh, worthwhile sort of thanking our musicians. I know we've done it as we've gone through, but um, I know that they've done... Uh, a lot of work in the background, lots of people um, helping support, making sure that every Sunday um, we've, we've got musicians with us and we're well prepared to sing. So thank you very much, uh, both uh, Pete, Gareth and, and Dawn and others who've helped uh, in the weeks. And also, obviously, our, mus our streamers, if that's the right word. Um, sounds like we're having a party, doesn't it? Uh, our streamers and those looking after the sound working so well together so we can uh, worship God to the best of our abilities. And we're going to start by singing our first hymn, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, and we're going to stand and sing this together. Oh, 
shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can meet together this morning, Lord, freely and worship you. Lord, we know it's been a tough um, past year, Lord, as we've uh, met remotely uh, and then together and then remotely and back together again, Lord, but we thank you for your goodness and faithfulness during all of this time, Lord, as we can worship you together uh, in song, Lord, and through the listening and studying of your word. And Lord, as we meet freely, we're uh, very aware at the moment, Lord, of all the turmoil that goes on around the world. And we pray for those in Afghanistan at the moment. Lord, we pray for the armed forces of various countries as they help uh, provide refuge and escape for those in that country who are in danger. Lord, we pray for their safety and the people who are seeking to escape such a horrific regime, Lord. We pray for women and children particularly uh, who are vulnerable in this situation. Lord, and as we've prayed before, Lord, as many of them are scattered uh, into other countries to seek refuge, Lord, they might be able to hear the gospel. Lord, something that is very difficult, as we know, in Afghanistan, Lord. So we pray that as they flee the country, they might also flee it into know, uh, into know more about you, Lord, and the great good news of the gospel. Lord, we continue to pray for the people of Haiti, Lord, as they recover from the earthquake and devastation that that brought. Lord, we pray for everyone working to provide for people who have lost homes, family members, Lord, everything in a lot of cases, Lord. We pray for them, Lord, and again, that they would look to you as the security of their future. And Lord, we pray for our government, that you would provide them with wisdom in how to support things going on around the world as well as things at home. Lord, we thank you for uh, every member of parliament in the time that they give to serve the country, Lord, their dedication to doing that but we ask that they would seek your wisdom over theirs in dealing with these situations and domestic situations. Lord, and as we come into the autumn winter, Lord, and some of the concerns and things that they may be thinking around, um, the flu and coronavirus and other things, Lord, that you would give them great wisdom to do the right things. So Heavenly Father, we bring these before you and we thank you that you are in control and you are sovereign. Lord, and we... Um, commit that to you, Lord, and we pray that we would be submissive to that. Lord, help us to understand why things happen, Lord, 
and to trust you when we don't understand why these things happen. We ask this in your name. Amen. I'm going to sing again now. Uh, stand together with your The Word of God the Father. have our uh, reading now so if you'd like to turn to your Bibles to Luke chapter 17 and verse 11 that's on page 1051 if you're using the church Bible Luke chapter 17 verse 11 and Cheryl's going to read that for us Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. 
As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to them, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. I'd like to just say a welcome to our visiting uh, speaker, or sort of visiting, I suppose. We are visiting these days, aren't you, to, uh, to Billy and also Sheila. Although I wasn't sure what to call them, actually. When I say this morning, do I call them Mr. and Mrs. Patterson still? Not quite sure. I think I can get away with, uh, with Billy maybe now I'm a bit older. Um, but for many of us, we know uh, Billy and Sheila really well. But I also uh, acknowledge that a lot of you won't know um, who, who Billy is and why um, he's so connected to the church here. So for those of you who don't know, Billy was our first full-time pastor here uh, for over 20 years, I would say. Um, I was going to say he married me, but um, obviously um, <laughs> he married me and Cheryl. Uh, but uh, I just wanted to say thank you to him while he's here and to Sheila for all their hard work. So I guess as you go older and you see kind of what happens uh, in church leadership and uh, members' needs... Um, you know, we, we often take that for granted, not just uh, for when Billy and Tony were, were leading us, but also for, for Steve and Tim as well. Um, there's a lot, a lot of us don't see that goes on. Um, so we'd like to thank Billy and Sheila for their dedication to the church in its early days and how it's grown. And we should be thankful for the, Billy's um, commitment to preaching the word uh, right from the start, which is why we're still here today and God has blessed uh, the church here in Pelsall. And thank you for keeping us on the straight and narrow as young people. Uh, Billy was always, um, well, if we weren't around, he'd be on the phone to make sure we were okay and we weren't falling away. And whilst while we were younger, that might have seen a bit of a pain, to be fair, um, we know the reasons for it and we're thankful for it now. We're in our older years, 40s. 40s. It's all right to be in your 40s, right? 40s and you 30, 50s and you 40. I think that's the way it goes. So we are grateful for that and uh, glad you could come and thanks for making the time. And you should all be grateful that Billy's here, otherwise it might have been me speaking, uh, which is uh, a different thing altogether. So um, before Billy does come and, and share God's word with us, we're going to stand and sing The Lord's My Shepherd. Yes, we 
Isn't it wonderful to be together and great to be able to sing together as the people of God? What, a, what an immense privilege. What a wonderful thing. And how we have missed it. And just when we're singing those songs of praise to our Savior, it just lifted my heart uh, for all that He is and all that He's done for us. And thank you very much, Steve, for those kind words of welcome. Uh, I, I can remember when he was a pain, <laughs> but a nice one. But even more wonderful, I remember the Sunday he came to the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember that very well. Because I can tell you, it was a dreadful sermon. It really was. And I couldn't believe the Lord could use it, but he did. And he spoke to Steve's heart. And I remember, I can assure you, I didn't marry him. I guarantee that. But I had the privilege of conducting the ceremony for Cheryl and Steve. I want you to turn with me again to that passage in Luke chapter 17, uh, this marvelous miracle 
after healing of the, uh, the, the ten, 10 lepers. Um, and just to put it in context, uh, what we have here is these 10 men, lepers, ostracized, desperate, distant, crying in the Lord, uh, and he hears their cry and responds to it, and marvelously, miraculously heals them. Uh, and then there is only one of the 10, only 10% returned to give him thanks, but I'm sure the Lord has lessons for us. I think you would agree with me, these are tough times. Uh, these are challenging circumstances uh, if you are a Christian or a Christian church seeking to function in these days. And I'm not speaking particularly or especially about COVID, but for three reasons. And the first is the general spiritual uh, situation which exists in our country at the present time. These are the days of very small things there aren't great advances in the, for the gospel throughout the land. We thank God for everyone who comes to faith in Christ and for everybody who comes to trust Him. But we're not seeing great numbers doing so. So these are, these are tough times in which to serve the Lord. And then on top of that, there is the opposition that we're facing. We have witnessed in our generation a real change in the culture of the country and the laws of the land and yet we are to witness and to work within that context. And then there's a resurgent, aggressive, militant atheism, which has not been known in this country for gener generations, witnessed by certain literature produced. Dr. Hawkins' books uh, uh, just of a, a few years ago, The God Delusion. And then John Humphreys of the BBC quickly following that up with another book, In God We Doubt a parody in the American statement, in God we trust, all seeking to undermine the thought of faith, of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the, the, the opposition that we're facing in these days. And there's a mixture of apathy and antagonism to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's another reason why these are tough times. But finally, because of the opportunities. This is still the, the day of God's grace. This is still the day of salvation. We can, we must, we should proclaim this glorious gospel of the blessed God that men and women will come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Great Commission has not been rescinded, whatever the circumstances or whatever the situation. We're meant to go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples, see men and women coming to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this raises a number of questions for us. First of all, how can we stand? How can we stand resolutely in such a time, a tough time as this? That's a real question for many people. We feel the pressure of the age. We sense at times the opposition. We have an awareness of the apathy of people with regards to the Christian gospel. How can we stand? And then furthermore, how can we step out with the gospel and fulfill that commission that the Lord has uh, given to us, the privilege of sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, thankfully, the Bible addresses these issues or this particular issue. And it gives us an answer, and only one answer. And that answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was writing to a young colleague called Timothy. And Paul knew that his days in planet Earth were rapidly coming to a conclusion. He sensed that. He could be put to death any day. And he's handing the baton on to Timothy. 
And he's saying, you must step up to the plate. You must preach the gospel. You must stand for Christ. And he knew that the situation wasn't great, and he sensed it was going to become more grave and more serious and more difficult. And then he says to Timothy, you have to take hold of this baton, the same as we must take up the baton in our day and our generation. And also he was aware that Timothy was different to him. He didn't have the same tenacity and perhaps in certain ways the same ability and certainly not the same authority as an apostle. So here was Timothy. What could he say to Timothy which would help him, encourage him, inspire him, and enable him to go on with the task? And he says, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. This is my gospel. In other words, you're never to let this thought leave your mind. It's to be uppermost in your thinking. It's to be the dominant theme of your mind and mentality. Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Now, in a sense, that's the message of the entire New Testament, and particularly and especially the Gospels, which are presenting this glorious picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, His coming, His living, His dying, His resurrection, and His ascension. And they're there to focus our thoughts, our minds, our whole being on the fact of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is especially true of the Gospel of Luke. He's writing to a person who had heard a man called Theophilus, and he had certainly heard the Christian gospel. And Luke says, I am writing that you must be certain and sure of the things that you have been told about the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted clarity in Theophilus' mind about who Christ is. He wanted certainty and confidence about who Christ is and what Christ could do for him. And so we have Luke telling this story, and one of the ways in which he does it is relate the miracles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're focusing on this one in particular. Now, there are three words in the original language used to describe the supernatural acts of the Lord Jesus Christ. You find Acts 2, verse 22, I think, gives all three. And the first is powers. And this was the means, the ability by which these things were accomplished. These were acts of God, demonstrations of God's power. That's how they were achieved. You know, sometimes when you had an insurance policy in the past, perhaps you're home, and then there was an accident or there's lightning struck, they wouldn't pay up, and they would say, well, it was an act of God. Very convenient, isn't it? Well, in this case, these miracles were an act of God. And the second word they use is wonders. And that's not so much the actual miracle but the reaction and the response of those who witnessed it. The, uh, the impact on them was described with wonders. They said, we have never seen anything like this. What kind of man is this? What manner of man is this? Even the winds and the waves are submissive to him. They were just overawed by his ability and his majesty and power, which was exhibited. And then the third word is signs. Now, a sign is an objective reality which points to a greater, bigger, more majestic reality. And that goes in all spheres of life. You have a street sign. It's quite small. But that is pointing to the road which is far, far, far bigger than the actual sign. You ask any preacher, and from time to time, they'll see someone in the congregation yawning. Now, you know that's a sign. Nothing to do with the preaching whatsoever. It wouldn't be that. 
But it's a sign. Maybe the atmosphere is heavy and need more oxygen. It's a sign. And so these miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ were pointing beyond themselves to someone greater, bigger, more majestic, even than the sign itself, to the person of Christ, who he is and what he came to do. Now, that isn't just my interpretation. That's what the Bible says. Many other signs or miracles Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book that is the New Testament. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you'll have life through his name. They're all pointing to him. Now, the question for us this morning, what is this sign, this miracle pointing to? What is this miracle saying? It's more than a demonstration of Christ's compassion or even to a certain degree his ability. It's actually pointing to his person, his very being, a revelation of who he is and what he has come to do. And the first thing I think this miracle is saying to us this morning, or the first lesson we are to learn from us, is that Christ is a majestic Lord and a mighty Savior. You notice what's emphasized in this miracle. We are told that there were 10 men who stood at a distance and cried out. There were 10, 10 lepers. And for emphasis, the Lord speaks at the end. He says, were there not 10 cleansed? Were the other nine? So the emphasis is on the number. Here are 10 lepers. Now in Luke chapter 5, we have the record or the narrative of our Lord coming and touching a leper. No one touched a leper. That was a no-no. Everyone stayed clear of a leper. And here's someone who comes. Now it's difficult in our culture, in our mind, in our, our era to appreciate what a leper would look like. To, to sense what it would be like to touch a person in that state, in that condition. It would be something naturally, it would be abhorrent to us, we would draw back from it. But Christ comes and he touches the leper. They'd never seen anything like that. But not only did he touch the leper, he transformed the leper. Almost his skin became pristine again. No wonder when the word of this spread abroad, they were filled with wonder. People were amazed. Someone touches lepers, and someone transforms lepers. But that was one leper. But here are ten lepers. One multiplied by ten. And you know something? He heals the ten just as effectively and efficiently as he did the one. He did that. He didn't have to stand back and think, what am I going to do here? There's no note of perplexity or anxiety. Oh, this is a tenfold problem. None of that whatsoever. No furrow or frown in the brow. He just says, go and show yourselves to the priests. You're going to be healed. And as they went, they were healed. And you know something I can say reverently this morning? It wouldn't have mattered if there had been a hundred lepers or a thousand lepers. He had the power to deal with it. Isn't that wonderful? Is that the sort of Lord Jesus, we believe in a mighty, majestic Lord and an all-powerful Savior. That's who he is. Now, this principle we see with the lepers is replicated in many other parts of the New Testament. You remember the occasion when the Lord, there were thousands of people who had been following him and listening to him all day and they were hungry. And what did he do? He fed 4,000 people. What with? 
a few loaves and a few fish. Isn't that astonishing? 4,000. How could he do that? He is a mighty Lord. He is a majestic Lord. He is a powerful Savior. But on another occasion, there were 5,000. Now, we get used to these stories. Imagine a 1,000 more. And he feeds them. And how does he do it? With a few loaves and a few fish. Isn't that astonishing? That's not nine more. That's not 90 more. That's not even 900 more. That's a 1,000 more. And he does it just as effectively and efficiently and sufficiently as he did with the smaller number. The same principle. And likewise, in dealing with death, we see this principle exhibited and displayed again. On one occasion, there was a man who was a leader in the Jewish community, a man called Jairus, and he had a dear little daughter who was desperately ill. As a last resort, he comes to the Lord Jesus and he, he pleads, come to my house. Any father, any parent would plead the same. My daughter's dangerously ill. And on the way, the Lord stops to heal the lady who had a hemorrhage. And others come and say, don't trouble the master anymore. She's died. Christ goes to the house, puts out the official mourners, apart from the, the parents and a few of his disciples. And he says to this little girl who had died, little girl, arise. You know what the Bible says? She got up. But on another occasion, there was a funeral cortege making its way to the cemetery. That means the funeral uh, details had all been done, and now it was time for the burial. And, they were going, and Christ stops the cortege. He, she was, he was the son who had died of a widow. And he says, young man, arise. Although he'd been dead for hours, he says, young man, arise. You know something? He arose. But Lazarus, who was mentioned in John chapter 11, was dead for four days. Rigor mortis had set in a big way. Decomposition had reached such a state that foul vapors and odors were coming from the body. There was a state of decomposition. And Christ says, Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth. The young girl had just died. And Christ raised her. The young man had been dead for hours. And Christ raised him. Lazarus had been dead for one, two, three, four days. And the Lord raised him. Oh, dear friends, how can he do that? He's a mighty Lord. He's a powerful Savior. He can do what no other can do. I wonder, do we believe that this morning? Do we really believe that in the depth of our hearts? Can you say amen to that? Because he is. And that's the answer for tough times and challenging situations and our own condition. The Lord Jesus Christ. There's a song used to be sung in churches, not so much now, but it used to be, uh, what is it? Got any mountains you can't climb or overcome? Uh, got any, uh, you can't tunnel through? Got any rivers you, can't, you think are uncrossable? He can do what no other can do. There's one of our, our uh, writers, he had a, he had a wonderful, way of, wonderful way of having phrases and putting them together. And he was speaking about the Elizabethan age of the Queen Elizabeth I. And he talked about the indescribable gusto 
of the Elizabethan voice. I'd love to be able to think of words like that. What way we had put it today was, they were up for it. Whatever it was, they were up for it. The challenges of Spain and going around the world and so forth, they were up for it. You know, there's the indescribable gusto of the New Testament Christian voice. And it can be summed up in just a few words. He is able. Not we are able. He is able. Paul's writing to Christians, uh, it's, the record is the book of Hebrews, we're having a tough time. Some were almost feeling like throwing the towel in. Some felt like giving up and some had already turned aside. And others were struggling. And what does he say to him? He said, oh, remember, he was tested and tempted in every point as we are. He went through these things. And now he's able to encourage us, to strengthen us, to succor us in our time of needs. He's able when we feel like that. And then even more expansively in Hebrews chapter 7, he says, he's able to save completely to the uttermost all those who come on to God through him. All of them. Whatever their past, whatever their present circumstances, whatever they may face in the future, Whatever it may be, how tough the times is, he is able to say it perfectly. All those who come on to God through heaven. The Apostle Paul, in his writing uh, to Christians in Ephesus, although the letter was probably of a more general nature. And in the third chapter, he has a marvelous prayer, and he, he says wonderful things about knowing the, the love of Christ that passes knowledge. And then, and then he talks something that just blows my mind. He says, being filled with all the fullness of God. <laughs> Who can understand that? And I can imagine the Ephesians thinking, Paul, do you realize who we are? This, this seems too much. It can't mean me. And Paul realized that, and he says, now think about it. Now on to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above. Think of all those superlatives. If you think what I've said is great, he can do far greater things. Exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or even imagine. You know, ask any preacher who looks in a congregation and say, oh, wouldn't it be great if this was twice the size? And then say, well, I can type for him. <laughs> well, dear friends, he's able. He's able. He's writing to the Philippians. And uh, there he's speaking about the end time when Christ will return uh, and believers being raised to have died. And, and he says, in that time, he's going to raise everyone and their lowly bodies, these bodies which are susceptible to sickness, disease, and death, these bodies that oftentimes are the, the vehicle of sin, they're lowly bodies at the present, although they, if we're believers, they're saved bodies. He's going to transform them into his, his glorious body. How long is it going to take? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in a 50th of a second, the, the body of every believer is going to be transformed. He says, why? Because he's able to subdue all things to himself. He's able. He is able. Even for the toughest times and the most challenging circumstances. Uh, some, I know some of you are Methodist background here this morning. The name Samuel Chadwick will mean something to you. Great Methodist preacher and evangelist. 
And Samuel Chadwick had two passages of scripture which he read every week. Uh, one on Sunday morning and one on Monday morning. And on Sunday morning, before he came to corporate worship, he would read Revelation chapter 5. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive honor and glory and power and riches. He said, I wanted to go to worship with these great thoughts in my mind. And then he said, you know, as a preacher, sometimes Sunday hasn't gone as well as what one wanted. And even sometimes it went badly. He said, so Monday morning sometimes would be difficult. And he read Isaiah 43, fear not you worm Jacob. I will make you into a sharp threshing instrument and you will crush mountains. Do you ever feel like that? Like a worm. You just feel weak because of your failures. You feel weak because of your circumstances. And you feel so weak, you feel you can hardly go on. He said, I will make you a sharp threshing instrument and you'll move mountains. I have never seen a worm move a rock, have you? But can you imagine a worm that could move a mountain? I will make you. Oh, how we need to get hold of this thought. He is a majestic, mighty Lord. And he is an all-powerful Savior. I don't know all of you here this morning. Perhaps there's someone here. And you've come to see the truth of Christianity, of that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And only what he did in the cross for your sin can meet your need. And you sense that sin, you're a sinner before a holy God. But you're thinking, how could I live this Christian life? How, when I, in that school where I am, or in that family where I'm placed, or that, that, that particular, uh, where I have my occupation, wherever it is, how could I do it? I know my weakness. Well, I'm glad you sense that weakness. But although we are weak, he is mighty. Come to him. He'll hold you. He'll sustain you with his powerful hand. He will do that. Perhaps some of us, I don't know what your week has been, or that, and you feel like at times throwing in the towel. You just feel, I can't take any more. I can't stand it anymore. I just feel I'm an abject failure as a Christian. And sometimes we feel like that, don't we? You feel wretched. You're disgusted with yourself. Well, this morning, he is able to strengthen you. He's able to sustain you. He will come to you. He will help you. He will enable you. And those who are serving the Lord, these aren't easy days to serve the Lord. We're not seeing a lot of success, and sometimes we see a lot of heartache, whether it's amongst children, young people, or, or whatever sphere. And, and you just feel at times that it's, it's not going well. And, and, and the temptation is to give up and give in. And you feel as if, I'd love to, but I can't keep going on. You know, you have that feeling at times. You ask any, anybody who, who's preached, you know, and sometimes after it you feel so terrible. You know, I remember uh, preaching. Uh, I, I shouldn't say the place where I was preaching in, but let's say it was very close to where I'm standing now. <laughs> and it was one of those bad sermons, and you can never get a bad sermon finished. 
It seems to take on a new life. And you're longing to shut up and sit down. You can't, you can't do it, you know. And then you even feel bad that you can't even finish a bad sermon. So um, a colleague of mine, who uh, was known in this church, dear Neville Swain, uh, and he phoned me and he said, how did, how did yesterday go? I said, I performed a miracle. He said, what do you mean? I said, I turned the wine into water. <laughs> I, said, I said, it was a dreadful level. I, I don't know whether I can face it again. Sometimes you'll feel like that. But we have one who can turn the water into wine. Even our most watery experience, he can transform into wine. He is a mighty saviour. I know there's someone you, you've been praying for people, members of your family, and you've prayed, and it seems to be as if things are getting worse rather than better. Hold on. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask or even imagine. He's still able. I had a wonderful experience that myself. I prayed for my brother for, for, for decades. At the age of 70, he came to Christ. The Lord is able. Keep praying. Keep praying for revival power. God will move in our land again. He's able to do that. Because he is a powerful savior. That's the first lesson. And then the next lesson is he's a personal savior. You notice in our narrative, all ten went as they were directed by the Lord. And as they proceeded on their journey, they were healed. He healed them at a distance. The Lord can do that. And one comes back and he returns to the Lord. And it was quite evident, our Lord's response to that. He says, were there not ten cleansed? It's really a rhetorical question. There were ten cleansed. And only one has come back. And it would be so easy to say, well, just to go away. If that's the way you people are. If that's the way you treat those who bless you. But, but it doesn't happen like that. And we have wonderful words recorded in verse 19. Just a few words. Then he said to him. Isn't that amazing? Just one comes back. But the Lord speaks to him. He had time for the one. He blessed the one. He spoke to the one. That one was so important. So crucial to him. He speaks to him. Why is that? Because the powerful Savior is a personal Savior. And that's the glorious thing. He's a personal Savior. And you find that illustrated again and again in the Scriptures. The point when our Lord set his face to go up to Jerusalem to do that thing that no other could do, no other would do, that only he could accomplish on that cross. And he was determined to go. Nothing was going to deflect him. But as you go through Jericho, there's a blind man called Bartimaeus. And he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on, 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 on me. And you know something what the Bible says? Jesus stopped. On his way to Jerusalem. To die for our sins, according to the scriptures. To take the condemnation which was due to us. To do that mighty act on the cross. And the blind man, others said, told him to shut up. But Jesus stops. Others told him to be quiet. 
But Jesus calls one person, and Jesus stops. He'll hear your humble cry. He will hear mine, my humble cry. Again, I made reference to the Lord when he was going to the house of Jairus. He stops. There's a woman in the crowd, and it was the, all the crowd was pressing around him. You know, it was like, you know, an England and Irish rugby scrum with the Irish scrum pushing the English back and back and back. You know, over the line. They pushed him for 70 yards. You know, I can't dream, can't I? <laughs> but it was that crowd. And there was one with real faith reached out. And the Lord says, who touched me? He knew just one in the crowd. That particular narrative was a great help to me. I, I came to know the Lord when I was 13. You know, you get a little bit of education, you start learning about things. At that time, there were six billion people on the earth. And, and there'd been 60 billion people who had walked on earth by that time. And I was thinking, and then there's how many billion galaxies? Why should it be interested in me? Why should it be concerned with me? One of six billion? One of 60 billion? One of a little speck in terms of the, the vastness of the universe? Why should he bother? And then I thought of that crowd all gathered around and just one little touch. And he knew. And he was aware. And he answered. Oh, he's a personal saviour, this powerful saviour. Don't ever be beguiled by the thoughts of the devil. He can't or he won't hear your humble cry. But I, I, I know some people would say, that was all right, he was here on earth physically. And there could be that communication. But it doesn't stop there. In Acts chapter 9, we're told about the conversion of, of Saul, who became the apostle Paul. And the Lord then speaks after he's met with, with Saul in a unique way, but in a way that he meets with us uh, in, in spiritual terms. He speaks to a man called Ananias. And he tells Ananias about who it is, this man Saul. He tells him where he'll be, the street, street called Straight. He tells him which house he's in. And he even tells him what he's doing at this very moment. I call that personal. He knew Saul by name. He knew the street he was in. He knew the house he was, would be residing. And he knew he was praying. That's the risen Lord. The ascended Lord. He's still a personal saviour. He's still a personal saviour. Oh, do we believe that? He'll hear my, your humble cry. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of the first person, personal pronoun. As Paul put it, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, says Paul. And that's Christian experience. Those who are older will remember John Wayne. Do you remember John Wayne? Yes. That's 70% nodded, right? Good. Well, John Wayne had a friend who was a songwriter. And the both of them lived very irreligious lives. But this uh, friend who was a songwriter heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus and was wonderfully converted. And he, he wondered how he could share with John Wayne what had happened. 
And he also wondered what the reaction would be. And so he told him, he said, John, or he said, John, something wonderful has happened to me. I've come to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. And by God's grace, I'm a changed man. And uh, he said, John Wayne just stopped and went quiet. Never said anything. And then he said, I'm so pleased for you. But things like that don't happen to people like me. And those words resonated in the mind of his friend. And he wrote a, a Christian song. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. Dear friends, this morning, what Christ has not done, what Christ has done for not just a few, but for thousands and for millions, he'll do for you. And he'll do for me. And arms are wide open to welcome us. Wider than we can imagine. More ready to embrace us than we could possibly conceive of. And I can tell you what he's done for others. He'll do for you this morning. And he'll do for me. Why? Because he is a personal saviour. The all-powerful, majestic Lord is a personal saviour. I just want to finish with third lesson from this, and only briefly. The all-powerful, majestic Lord and Savior, this personal Savior, is a praiseworthy Savior. One returned. Can you imagine if someone came into the church this morning, threw themselves down in front, and started to give glory to God in a loud voice? I wonder what the reaction would be. And yet, that's what this man did. Why? Because he saw, he sensed, he experienced what who Christ is. What a wonderful Savior he is. What a mighty Lord he is. And he felt, and he saw, and he experienced what he had done for him. And the only appropriate thing in his mind was to return and give God thanks. Give Christ thanks and give glory to God. I wonder if you're a believer this morning, is that the way you've gathered? I have come from the depth of my heart to thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me this great salvation. So full. So free. So great. So glorious. I want to give glory to God. Oh, may the Lord help us to see Christ like that. I want to quote, as I, as I finish, some words by John Newton. It's not Amazing Grace, although that would be equally appropriate. But it's another one of his hymns. And he says, Why should I fear the darkest hour or tremble at the tempter's power? Jesus vouchsafes 
to be my tower? Why hot the fight? Why quit the field? Why must I either fly or yield? Since Jesus is my mighty shield. When creature comforts fade and die, worldlings may weep, but why should I? Jesus still lives and still is nigh. I know what may soon be tied. I know not what may soon be tied or how my wants will be supplied, but Jesus knows and will provide. Though sin would fill me with distress, the throne of grace I dare address, for Jesus is my righteousness. Though faint my prayers and cold my love, my steadfast hope shall not remove. While Jesus intercedes above. Against me, earth and hell combine. But all on my side is power divine. Jesus is all. And he is mine. Jesus is all. And he is mine. Amen. Thanks very much. I think um, tomorrow morning you don't need to worry about it being a uh, wine into water sermon for sure. Um, So let's just pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray for your forgiveness for doubting and forgetting your power in salvation in our lives. Lord, we ask that you would uh, reignite that confidence that we should have in you, Lord, and your power to change people, to change us, and to change lives. Even in the most difficult and toughest of circumstances, Lord, we ask that you would give us that confidence. Every day we would be reminded of what you've done for us, what you could do for others, and that you are interested in us as individuals, as worms, Lord. And we thank you. Amen. We're going to close by singing, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. Jesus, but
Now to you, our Lord, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us, to you be glory in the church throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.